I mean, can you believe it? We are back. Hello, Adelaide United family. Jared Walsh here, and welcome to season three of the Pitch Podcast. It's a celebratory, never used that word, year, because we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. The 17th of October, 2003, we played our first game in the A-League and managed to get our first win against Brisbane in front of 15,000-plus at Hindmarsh Stadium. Our first goal scorer, Carl Viet, is now our head coach. It was an amazing night for those of you who were at Hindmarsh. For those of you who weren't, don't worry, because this season of the pitch, not only are we going to be speaking to some current players from our A-League men's team, some current players from our A-League women's team who had a four-all draw against Canberra United on the weekend, but of course, a lot of the people who make up this fantastic football club and who have been part of our history. So let's get into episode one. I think it's quite fitting that we speak to a person who not only had an outstanding football career as a player, but they led Adelaide United on a handful of occasions as coach, and they had some um, pretty interesting exits. His name's John Cosmina, and as you know, Cosy was there in 2003. He had a famous incident with Kevin Musket. He left the club and came back and then left the club again, but the beauty about Adelaide United at the moment is, of course, People always love coming back to this football club. In the chat, you're going to hear we speak about Romario. We speak about that very famous night 20 years ago at Hindmarsh Stadium. What he's up to now and how we can fix football in Australia to get more eyes on the television and more bums on seats at all of these amazing venues around Australia. So let's get into it. It's a pleasure to have you. Welcome back to Pitch Podcast Season 3, Episode 1, John Cosmina. Or how should I introduce him? Let's find out. John Cosmina, who you may not remember certain things about our involvement. John, what would you like me to call you? JK, John Cosmina, Cosy. Cosy. All right, Cosy, you used to, this is unheard of in football anymore, you used to actually come up to one of our supporters' functions pre-game with a coffee and you would chat to the fans and the members and the supporters before going down and leading the team out. Um, every week. And I love that. I don't think we appreciated that at the time that you gave a bit of an insight into what to expect leading the team out. That's basically one of your second stints at Adelaide United. So we'll, we'll get to all that a little bit later on. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. It's um, a little bit cold living in Queensland now. Mm. The climate's a little bit different, but it, um, no, it's good to be back. And I love being at Highmarsh Stadium. It's um it was funny when I walked into this room that um, I had some interesting meetings in here, and certainly in my second stint. My first stint, this used to be the, um, <clears throat> the South Australian Soccer Federation office, and Tony Ferrugi used to sit in this room, I think. This is what I was going to ask you. This room could be tr- quite triggering for you as well because of <laughs> the oh, four yes, chats you would have had. I mean, I, I do remember a meeting we had, um, and I. No names, no pack drill, but um, it was interesting, the people sitting in the chair, the empty chairs as they are at the moment opposite me. Um, it was um, it was, it, it was fun, put it that way. I look back on it now and it's uh, with, with good memories, not bad, because it's just part of life. It is. We'll, we'll get to that um, in a moment. The, the great thing is that you've, you've said I can ask you anything and I will. Um, it's a celebration of 20 years of the Adelaide United Football Club, but it's, it's more than 20 years, which has been creating the people behind the club um for you how did you become involved because in 2003 we had the the end of the nsl era going into the a-league setup um i want you to give us a bit of an insight of how you became involved in the whole setup from day one well 
2003 was still NSL. Um, no one really knew what was was going to happen. I had been coaching in Brisbane uh, for five years and my contract wasn't getting renewed and I was going off to Coffs Harbour. I was actually studying massage and uh, acupuncture and I was going to end up becoming a naturopath because I like that kind of stuff. And um, I was heading off to, to Coffs Harbour. My wife was going to – we were trying to get into a, a childcare centre where you had uh, – because she's um, teacher-trained – and we we're going to do that, and I was going to run my little massage business and become a hippie, which I've always wanted. To, <laughs> always wanted to be a hippie. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I grew up in the '60s and '70s and loved that time. Um, anything I got three thousand songs on Spotify, and none of them were after 1990. So I love that. It, um, no, but so we were going to do that, and then I got an invite to I think it was the inaugural um, South Australian Soccer Federation, as it was called then, uh, Hall of Fame dinner, and. I don't know, maybe there'd been one the year before. Anyway, long story short, I couldn't get down here, but I rang up Tony Ferrugia to talk about it. And the night before, uh, Bob Dutavi at Adelaide City had pulled the pin on the club playing in the or competing in the National League that year, and it was due to kick off in... Well, that would have been early September, uh, and the season was due to kick off in three or four weeks. And Ferrugia and I were talking about it, and he told me what their plans were to start up a... A club and run it through the federation, and um, you know, get Gordon Pickard involved and all that sort of thing. And um, I said I wouldn't mind coaching that, and that was the end of my career in natural medicine. <laughs> so we discussed it a bit more. I flew down here, had a chat with um, Farooj, uh, Basil Scarcella, and Gordon, and um, the, we'd done a deal, and that was it. So I was back a month later, or well, not even that. I was back probably. About two weeks later, uh, moved in with a mate of mine down at Woodville Park that I'd gone to school with, been in the surf club with, and my um, missus packed up the house. We put it on the market and sold it, and that was it. And Simple as. You made it back to South Australia, and you, you put together a squad for our first match in 2003 that I was having a look at. And again, for if I go back 20 years, I was 19 at the time, um, and I'm probably one of those people that, I'd moved to South Australia when I was 15 from Tasmania. So, um, that explains it. It does, doesn't it? The other head on my shoulder. <laughs> um, the, the unique thing about football is I think a lot of us who were brought up on the eastern side of Australia or the southeastern side, football was a different sport. But then moving over here and seeing the, the groundswell of support for Adelaide United and seeing um, the beautiful game and what it was and what it represented. But at that point, the squad was made up as all, of all Australians, Bob Shane Smeltz too. So it was a really Australian slash South Australian makeup. Well, I, I took um, the bones of the Adelaide City squad. I remember sitting up in the, uh, I can't remember which room it was now, um, or what's there now, but we sat up in one of the spaces in Hindmarsh there in the stadium and um, I spoke to the Adelaide City guys and said basically... Um, I'm not going to go looking for players. I think you guys are decent enough. Um, if you're interested in staying on, let me know. And it worked out all right. And they had good players in the squad. Ross, um, sorry, not Ross. Ross came later. Um, Carl Veard, Aurelio Vidmar, Christian Rees, um, Aaron Golding, players like that. And I added a couple of others. Um, but I know Ross wanted to come back to Australia from Europe. Mm. So I remember Basil calling me about 
that his father had been in touch with Basil uh, to see if there was any space for him. And I took him straight away because I remember watching Ross as a youngster um, when I first started coaching. And so it, when I was actually working for the ABC, I think I came over here to do some games and Ross was playing for, I think, West Adelaide. Um, so, you know, we had enough there to, to build something. You had enough quality. You had guys that had the, the right idea about how football should be played and you had the guys with the right mentality as well, because mindset's a really important thing with football. Mm. And, um, you know, and Vidi, Carl, Ross, they're all good pros, great pros, and that's what was important. So it, that side of it was easy. It wasn't, wasn't hard. You know, we put a team together. We, we, the culture already sort of currently existed. I think they probably needed to change because of the, uh, the way things had been run at Adelaide City in that recent history. And um, it was something new and fresh, and, and the players all bought into it, and it worked out well. Did you feel pushback or a bit of angst, though, for some of those local teams? It's, it's happened in, in other sports when you do get a, a national representative team, and obviously there was one with NSL, but there's always going to be, if, you, if you're taking players, or there's always going to be some sort of pushback. I think, I think people actually accepted that. And, like, football, football's a fractured sport. Mm. You've got... Italian clubs, you've got Greek clubs, you've got Croatian clubs. I grew up in a Polish club. Um, you've got Serbian clubs, and it just goes on. You, you've got your Anglo-Saxon Aussie clubs. Um, you've got clubs that have got a history steeped in um, English migrants, all that sort of thing. So um, no one ever sort of really, really got along. Um, the concept of having, a, I guess, a team that represented none of those demographics but represented South Australia uh, and represented Adelaide, I think that actually caught on, and it caught on a lot bigger than, than anybody would have, would have ever expected. So the pushback wasn't, if there was any, it was, it was very, very limited uh, and not worth sort of worrying about. They were, easily, they were easy problems to solve. Um, and the other thing that was important was that we used to, certainly in that first season, um, to, I guess put out any fires before they even started. We went to clubs and we trained there Tuesday nights. Um, you know, I mean, we did our pre- well, pre-season, we can call it that, out at Blue Eagles, ground at Marden. Uh, but I remember we went out to Salisbury, went out to Elizabeth, went out to, uh, down to Panthers, at, at, um, down McLaren Bar Way. It was, we did a whole lot of trips around the place. So I mean, we even went to Mount Gambier, I think, but that was in, before the A-League started. Um, so we visited a lot of places. And that was important because the concept of Adelaide was to engage with the local public. And it's easy to pay lip service to it. Yes, 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 we're going to be friends with everybody. Um, and then you pick up a phone. It's not the same. You turn up and talk face-to-face and, and, and you meet and greet. And that worked exceptionally well. It was good. And, look, it's, it creates a it's not an image or even a perception. It creates, it, it was, a, uh, I guess, an indication of the reality of how humble the club was and, and the players. And they were all happy to buy into it as well. It was important. I think they could all feel that there was something pretty exciting about to happen. There's something special about Hindmarsh Stadium, Adelaide United and significant games where we don't really lose big cup finals here at Adelaide Oval, at the only grand final that we've hosted in the, the A-League. We've, we've won that and then our, our very first game in 2003. Did you feel something was building and something was going to be quite special about that night prior to arriving at Hindmarsh? Or was it when you saw the 15,000-plus people, you thought, okay, something big is happening here? Well, I don't, I can't, I don't know what the, um, 
the pre-sale was in terms of tickets. I knew there was a good response. We'd had good feedback from from a lot of people. Uh, I mean, Hindmarsh for me is really significant because I used to come here as a kid. Mm. Uh, I think the first time I ever played here was about 11, really going on 12 years of age. Uh, and it was a lot different then, believe me. It's, um, and this area where we're sitting, this this room was... Um, I, it didn't exist. Um, in its current form, um, I was probably kicking a ball around in the space that we're sitting in now, um, you know, during half-time breaks or between games at the Ampol Cup that used to be played on Mondays and Friday nights in mm. summer. So, look, no-one really knew what to expect. We knew there was a good feel about the place and we got lots of positive media coverage. Um, I mean, obviously it was out of season for AFL, which was great because um, they would have squashed us if they knew how big it was going to become. Um, so that side of it was good. Um, coming to the ground, I was pretty nervous because it was a lot of expectation, I think. Um, and I remember driving, I was staying at Glenelg. Um, by then, my family had come down the day before. Uh, I'd stayed, we'd moved them into an apartment down there for a couple of weeks till I could find it. Still hadn't found a place to live. And there wasn't a rental crisis back then either. I was just fussy. Um, but, yeah, coming to the ground was great. And then all of a sudden... Just sort of got into the nearby area, and it was there were cars everywhere, and it was like super busy. And when we were in here, it was like getting changed. No one could believe it. And then we got told it was going to kick off late because there were still people trying to get in. And um, walking out, just the hairs on my back and my neck stand up now. Just it was an unbelievable atmosphere. It was incredible. The most pleasing thing for me, and seeing the the crowd figure on the night of fifteen thousand five hundred and sixty eight, but then. We averaged over 12,000 for every home game that season. So it wasn't just a flash in the pan. This was a consistent crowd. And, you know, in 2023, 20 years later, if we got 12,000 here for every game at Hindmarsh Stadium, we, we'd be celebrating that now. So 20 years ago, getting those figures consistently, that, that's huge. Well, given what Adelaide City or West Adelaide were getting in their, you know, their checkered histories in the NSL before that, you know, when you, 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 know, you could come here and fire a gun and maybe not hit anybody. Um, it was it was phenomenal. I think it was actually more than that because I know there were people sitting in the aisles. Well, I think they just had to say that for occupational <laughs> health and safety. And I know from what I can recall, I think there were two or three thousand people that were just outside the gate that couldn't get in. They couldn't start. They, they couldn't delay the game any longer. There's people stuck out in the street as well. Mountain Street was closed, pretty much. It was people everywhere. It was phenomenal. The people were sitting in the aisles. In the old stand on, that's the eastern stand that side, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember people were sitting, you couldn't see the, you know, people walked up and down because there were people sitting in the aisles, they had to get in somehow. It was just a fantastic night. You had a couple of stints at Adelaide United. So I'm going to be specific about players a, a little bit um, later on, but they were both exits from my perspective that weren't ideal in your situation. Are you able to talk us through your exits? Because oh, being look, back here, is uh, it's great to have you back. The first one I probably could have argued the point. Uh, I'll be straight. Nick um, Bianco took over from Gordon Pickard and Nick and I didn't see eye to eye in a lot of things. And I think when there was an opportunity for Nick to give me a kick in the ass, he did. Mm. Um, I could have argued the point. Uh, and I, I, I knew it was sort of gone then. The, the 6-0 loss in the grand final, we'd had, to, um, we'd had issues that whole season. Um, we'd been travelling really well. The musket incident actually happened that season. Mm. And Melbourne Victory were top of the table and flying, hadn't lost a game. And we played them at, at was the Telstra Dome yeah. back then. Uh, full house, you know, or at least 40. Um, which is a fantastic atmosphere at that place. Um, and we knocked them off. And Muskie had the uh, 
he had the shits because I'd been giving him a bit of verbal all game. Because um, once you get under musky skin, it's, he loses it. Mm. And that's ended up in that little incident that him and I were involved in. But um, later that season, we signed Romari, and I didn't want to sign him. And we were starting to like, really hit our straps, and it set us back. We had four games with Romario, and we just threw all of our momentum out. So we had to really battle to, to get back into form. And we played our grand final the week before when, um, when we beat Newcastle on penalties. Um, then, you know, by the time we got to the, the grand final, we were emotionally burned out. So you Probably spent physically as well because it was a it was a tough season that one. And you spent time away from the club. You went to, to Sydney for a bit, and you you came back as a caretaker coach, which I remember exactly where I was driving on the night that I heard that you were brought in as as caretaker coach, which was amazing. It was almost a celebration that you'd returned to the football club. So did you did you almost need to mend relationships with some people at the club or um, prepare yourself to step back into that environment again? Uh, different owners. Um and football had probably changed a little bit by then as well. And I'd been doing a bit of work in the media and um, I'd been to Sydney and come back. Um, I can't remember what I was actually doing at the time. I know I ended up going to uh, – I went to a – they'd started the Cosmina Musket Shield. Yes. And so I'd gone to Melbourne Victory for a game around Christmas time and um, I was a guest speaker there. They had a big pre-game function. Uh, and it's funny because I actually that weekend Melbourne Victory put me up I spoke to their guys and a couple of days later I got a ring from um, I got a call from the Adelaide United hierarchy you spoke uh, to their guys uh, uh, with, with the potential of coaching them they were they were sniffing yeah right okay. sniffing so um, <clears throat> and then um, I think Greg Griffin got in touch with me I remember I was out in the backyard laying, laying dirt to I was wheelbarrowing dirt to put pavers in around the pool that I'd just put in at uh, my house up at Mitcham there. And um, I went, oh, shit, I better get going. This is where you're going. I said, I'm going into town. I've got to have a shower and I've got to go and talk to Greg Griffin. Mm. And it worked out that I, they wanted me to come back here. They were going to get rid of Rennie Cool because um, they'd had some poor results. And that sort of worked. It um, had a season in a bit, but it's, I'm not, I hate the politics of football. And I can't stand some of the crap, and um, it it wasn't. It sort of got to a point where, when I left, which was probably when did I start? Christmas two thousand and eleven. I left in the end of January two thousand and thirteen, and the club was on a a bit of a downward slope again, another slippery slope. Um, and I think the best thing for me was to get out, so I did. So I chose to go out my way, though. Um, and no one knew about it. It was all done in the one hit. Uh, and next thing I know, the media banging on the front door. And mm. It was no big deal. I just didn't want to – it wasn't working. That was and are you – to be able to control your own exit, I'm sure, means a lot to you too because we're, we live in the fishbowl here in South Australia. So to make sure you manage it the right way to say, hey, no, I've decided that now's my time, um, that externally looks a lot better as well and it's factually correct. <laughs> Yeah, and look, I I had my own reasons. I'd work off gut instinct a lot and gut feel, and it, um, I needed to change. I knew it wasn't. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to change uh, in terms of how I went about things. And neither were the people that were running the club either. So there was always going to be that divergent path or paths. Um, so it was time to move on, and that was it. So I left. 
I want to ask about Romario because um, for you to be pretty honest about him earlier was is fantastic. So he's come to the club, huge fanfare. Um, we spoke about this the other night at the um, one of our commercial partners' evenings. You, you look at him and you go, okay, well, hopefully you can kick a football because you're not going to be able to run out 90 minutes. But what was that whole experience like for you? I didn't want him. The club approached me and I said, no, Lord, I don't want him. And we went away that weekend and I said, I got asked a question. I'm not going to mention any names here. Mm-hmm. I got asked a question and I said, don't sign him. I came back on the Monday morning and he'd been signed. And that annoyed the crap out of me because I knew, I know what I like from, or what I want from players and what I can get out of players and what players can give <coughs> give me or the club or whatever. And uh, it wasn't going to work. It was disruptive. I mean, I was never a big supporter in the A-League, even from day one, if you check the records, about marquee players. We did, we had a marquee player. We had King Chinking Chu. And I bought Fernando Rack here. Um, but they were players that could value add to the squad. Um, Romario was a you know it was a it was a it was a party time. It was it had nothing to do with football. It was all about PR. And I figured with me, if I'm old school, if the football's good enough, that is the PR. Do you feel that that's still an issue that we have as a league because yep. we are trying to compete with eyeballs, especially over summer. If you think about summer broadcasting, there's basketball, there's cricket, there's lots of other sports. Um, but when it comes to these marquee players, sometimes the decisions that are made are the ones that are going to sell shirts, potentially get people through the gates. But we still see players using Daniel Sturridge as an example over the past 12 to 24 months at Perth. Your name is not going to necessarily bring you team success and it could be a massive disaster. We've had some good ones, well, but we've also had some disasters. He was a classic disaster. Mm. Yeah, how much did Perth invest in him? Uh, like that's why I was never a supporter. Look, I, I, and I, I did say this at that function you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier um, the other night. The, the, the A-League is a development league. We ought to get some sense of perspective about where we fit in the grand scheme of world football. And we're not up near the top. We can't compete with the EPL. We can't compete with um, League One. We can't compete with the Serie A or the Bundesliga. Or, you know, we can't compete with a lot of different leagues around the world, um, certainly financially. Um, we're in a country, and I know it's because there are other football codes in this country that we compete against. Um, we need some sort of hook. I mean, the whole, I'm getting on a bit, right? So maybe I'm old fashioned, but uh, I can't, I, I don't buy into this thing that everything um, has to be about image, um, that everything's about how things look and how um, it's, if you do something and do it well and do it consistently, for me, that's enough to, to get positive outcomes mm. and, and acceptance. I mean, you've got to start, you know, adding tinsel like, you know, we've signed Romario, he's played a thousand games for Brazil and scored a million goals type of thing. It's it's all, it's crap. Um, and if, they, if you're going to sign someone, it has to be the right person. Um, and he wasn't for the club at the time and that's what annoyed me because I knew the damage it would do and it did. And what annoyed me even more was that I got, at the end of the day, the, I was in a meeting um, questioning why I'd substituted him and um, he said basically, um, the, the words said to me were, I don't care about the result, we just need to play Romario. Mm. And for me that was like red rag to a bull because I don't, I'm not, here, I'm not a, a social worker, I'm not here to you know, pat Romario on the back and tell him what a great guy he is. 
You know, he was a fantastic player. I loved him. I loved watching him. But it wasn't working here, and my job was to make this team work. So then how – because I love listening to your expert analysis as you've done since you've, you've left coaching. How do we fix some of the issues that we've got? We, we're off the back of two World Cups um, – I used to love a Saturday night where I would watch a neutral game as an Adelaide United supporter, whether it was the Big Blue or I'd watch Adelaide versus Victory at, at Docklands, as you said, in front of 40,000 people. And now that game's at Amy Park, maybe in front of 12,000 people. We know the product that we have because we're fans, we're in. What's going to get more people through the gates? Because I feel sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot as a code, and you said it's fractured. So it's how do we make improvements? That's a... That's a you know four million dollar question, sixty four million dollar question. I don't know. Um, I look. There's a whole lot of things that need to be fixed, and um, I think the direction for that can only come from the top. Um, I think in terms of each club, they've got to get their their own backyard in order, and they have their own philosophy and you know their standards and values, and um, and and sell themselves to their supporters. Uh, but it's like I said before. Um, you know, we're all about um, we, there's a cult of celebrity that exists not just in our sport but in in Australia. It um, you know you look at everyone's a legend these days in sport. Everyone's the greatest. You know, there's goats everywhere you go. It it does my head in because they're not goats and they're not legends. They're just a bloke that wants to kick a football around or a woman that wants to kick a football around. And uh, they've been lucky enough to to carve a niche out somewhere along the way that. Um, has benefited them financially and they can make a living out of it or they get a bit of celebrity out of it. But, um, you know, it, it, it's this instant gratification that we need. Oh, let's get a big name. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. You know, I'd, I'd see stuff. On, I'm on Facebook which I, and I look more than – I don't contribute very much at all because otherwise you just get into arguments mm. with, with, with idiots. There's yep. a lot of people on, on <laughs> social media. You should get on Twitter. That even goes um, up tenfold. Yeah, well, I wouldn't, I'm not interested. Um, you know, it um, it can take up too much of your life and it makes you. It's negative mm. in a lot of ways. Um, so I see people question all the time about who we're going to sign. Like Carl Veer's done an unbelievable job bringing kids through. You look at what Adelaide United. How many players we've got overseas? Look at the kids we've the Tourays, for example. Um, there's two or three others have gone overseas, you know, and more are going to go overseas. Carl's done a great job bringing these kids through, you know. So, why do you need to have a big name? Why do you have to go out and sign somebody um, and spend valuable dollars on a player that may or may not fit in? Um, you've got to do your research on your marquees. Um, Adelaide, I think, are sensible. They don't go in over the top. Other clubs have just gone for. A, a big name that's got potential to do something, but they don't do their research enough to um, to warrant the signing, but they sign them anyway, like Daniel Sturridge, for example. Mm. He's a great player, but didn't work. Um, so, yeah, so look, I'd, I don't know how you solve all the ills of the game. It, there's that many little things that have gone wrong, but I think firstly the thing we need to do is to actually get – local people to respect the A-League because there's a lot of disrespect for the A-League out there. And that's partly got to do with everyone thinks that the game is bigger and better in every other country in the world except here. But this is what we've got. You know, you've got a, a second tier that is almost wanting to undermine the A-League um, because the people still think the NSL was better. There was a lot of things wrong with the NSL mm. um, for a lot of reasons. 
Um, and those reasons are why the game is as fractured as it has been over the the course of the last 50 or 60 years. It's why, you look at the NSL, why did it fall apart? You know, 23 years in existence, I think, and it had five or six restarts. I mean, we started off in 1977. You had Channel 10 broadcasting games live. You had um, a highlights package show. You had a major multinational like Phillips sponsoring the league for five years. It you know, it was it was the first professional football code or professional sport, national sport, I should say, in the country. It was phenomenal. Um, three years later, Phillips said, we're not renewing the contract. And that was two years before it was even up for renewal. You know, the Channel 10 thing went down the gurgler because of the constituency of the game. So the, that's the things you've got to fix first. You know, people want too much, they expect too much. Uh, at the end of the day, you've got a whole lot of... Um, little fiefdoms within football that as long as their patch of grass is they're happy with, um, they think it's all got to be about them and it's not. There's a, a bigger picture out there and it's about the, the, the development of the game and getting kids through the system and getting the kids overseas like say Adelaide United have done. I, I love seeing where the club's at at the moment um, and I've been fortunate to be involved with the club for about a decade now but to see the the authentic connectivity between past players who now feel safe to come back to the club because the past players are being treated the right way, where I think in the past we probably haven't farewelled some of our past greats the right way. The the women's team are on equal terms at this point when it comes to playing at Hindmarsh when they can, um, and the fans feel connected. The, the media person has just been recruited and headhunted from another code, actually wrote a book called A Decade United, so he's connected to the club. Um, how important is that when, when you step back in here to see an authentic connection back to the people that make up this football club, but also football in South Australia? Well, it's, it gets back to the standards that were set and the, the values that were and the culture that was instilled right at the very beginning. And you've got to maintain that. And yeah, I said they went away from that for a while, but they've come back to that now. And that's important, and you've got to maintain that connection. And yes, you've got to evolve. It can't always be um, a connection or a, a culture based in nostalgia. You've got to progress and move with the times as well. But your underlying principles um, and values are still the same as they were 20 years ago, and that's that you connect with the community here. Um, look, I've lived in Queensland. I've lived in uh, spent a spare bit of time in, in Sydney, uh, and I've lived here in Adelaide. I grew up in Adelaide. Um, South Australia is fairly unique in that regard where you can probably um, develop that community culture a lot easier than you could, for example, in Sydney. You know, I coached at Sydney FC and one of the biggest problems they had there was that they were too busy. Um, they were called uh, the, the, the glamour team. They were the, the glitz, you know, um, glitterati and all that sort of stuff. It, Sydney were more concerned about that when they started than actually building a culture. When they started, when Arnie came on board and they started to build a culture, um, it changed, and they, you know, they made a really great signing um, in Del Piero, and it it bumped up their membership base, and they've sort of kept it. But they've they've re- recognised value in in keeping that connection with their with their fans um, and their, their 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 football community, and that's important. And you've got to you've got to keep working on that and keep evolving. And yeah, people are going to get the shits and say we're not happy with a few different things. But um, I think the biggest thing you can do with with the fans is be honest with them as often all the time, not as often as you can, but all the time. You've got to be transparent. Um, people aren't stupid; they know when there's a bit of bullshit being thrown around. 
So with that um, in mind, I think it, you know, that's why Adelaide's been successful because, you know, when they've been up front and they've, they've made that connection and they've developed local kids, um, it's, it's, it's worked. And, you know, it's, it's great to see a lot of kids in the team now that, um, you know, even Craig Goodwin, I know he's let players move on. I've got no problem with Craig Goodwin leaving. It's you know he's going to make some good money over there um, that he never would have made here, um, and that's not any inside information. That's just you know they can't. We haven't got that kind of dough. The game doesn't have that kind of money in Australia. So um, oh, I just lost track of what I was going to say. There. You were talking about us um, developing young yeah. players. Yeah. So look, I think it's just so important that Adelaide keep moving in the path and the direction that they're going in at the moment because it's working. You know, I came to the women's game yesterday and it, uh, I'd never been in that stand before. Um, it's great. Mm. And there was, a, there was nearly 3,000 people here yesterday, which was um, was a good crowd from what I understand. And it's it was a great crowd. To, and the, the, the weekend of the women's football was they broke a record on Saturday and then broke it again. And so that's over almost 30,000 people over yeah, the whole so weekend. So that's great. So you talk about the legacy of the Women's World Cup, that's it. Because I work in a... In a um, in the apparel industry for Full Hammer, and we do sporting apparel, and so I talked to a lot of clubs about um, about you know their, what sort of they need for their teams and stuff. And most of the guys I've spoken to have said um, we've got a well, we might have another two or three women's teams next year. Mm. So that's off the legacy of the World Cup. Now you can't rely on that the whole time. It's going to take more work to keep that, but that's been great, you know. And yesterday the crowd was fantastic. Yesterday and they were engaged. Um, I thought both teams, Canberra and Adelaide United, played some decent football. It was a good game to watch. And certainly four all, it's eight goal thriller. Was, um, <laughs> that was exciting. So look, you, you give the product, you put the product out there, and you do it with honesty um, and integrity. Because I think at times the game has um, lacked integrity um, for all sorts of different reasons. Um, then I think you've got the basis of, uh, or you've got a foundation or a platform that you can actually build and grow from. Couple more before I let you go. Just some quick fire questions. Did you ever think twenty years ago that you would be sitting in this boardroom twenty years later having a conversation with me? The me part's irrelevant, but then the Viet head coach Aloisi has been here and now head coach of Brisbane. Vidmar doing exactly what he's been able to do with the national team with Adelaide United, but also you look at some of the players who have represented the club. We have an Oliviera playing for us. There's an Allegich. We did have a, a Costanzo. A lot happens in 20 years, and it's a beautiful thing. It does, and you've got succession. Um, you know, not just with players, but with all players moving into coaching. Um, you've got sons of former greats. You know, Richie Allegich, you mentioned that name, is still involved in the game. Um, at a, at a not with at club level, but um, at federation level, working with youth, um, it's great to see all of that. It's um, but no, if you ask me, I wouldn't have thought about this twenty years ago. It wouldn't have even occurred. Mate, I don't know what I was going to do <laughs> half the time because I fly by the seat. Of That's because you're a hippie. <laughs> yeah, I, I fly by the seat in my pants, mate. It's like um, if something comes up and it takes my fancy, then I'll I'll do it. But it, um, yeah, I mean, I plan ahead a little bit, but. Uh, 20, I wouldn't have even thought what I'd be doing in 20 years' time. I still, well, if I'm still here in 20 years' time, I'll be happy. <laughs> I'm not thinking what I'll be doing. Um, we are here at Hindmarsh Stadium, and your son Nathan does a fantastic job as Chief Executive Officer when he's not playing golf. Um, he has a signed Pele shirt, I believe, here that 
is his pride and joy, and he's a father, and he just loves it. He spoke about it on the radio the day that we found out here in Australia that Pele had passed. How did this all come about, please? I was working for the ABC. Um, this would have been... Oh, 80, I'd finished playing 89, I think 89, 90, 90, 91, and he'd released a, uh, a, a couple of books um, that were packaged up, was called the Pele Albums. And <clears throat> he came out to Australia on a promotional tour. And I remember we went to a, a dinner at um, Sydney Football Stadium and he was a guest of honour, obviously, and uh, or the old Sydney Football Stadium, uh, but only been open for two or three years then. And... Uh, I went and did a one-on-one with him on camera um, for the ABC. And I happened to have a Brazil shirt because we'd played Brazil a couple of years before in the Bicentennial Gold Cup. So, And it happened to be a number 10 shirt. <laughs> so I got that um, I got that signed for Nathan because Nathan would have been five or six at the time, maybe a little bit older. Um, his younger brother, Justin, was only, only two. Um, and I didn't have another shirt, so <laughs> I figured Nathan was kicking a ball around already. So I figured he liked that, and so I got the the shirts on. I love it; it's priceless. Um, Cosy, thank you very much for being here. I love you. You mentioned that you like to fly by the seat of your pants a little bit because I was I was lucky enough to be in Qatar for the men's World Cup, and I was emceeing for the Socceroos. And my floor manager, who is the guy that will tell me everything to do and tell me when I'm on camera, um, his name's Nick. And he, uh, he's from the UK, so he works in the Premier League. And he's like, Adelaide, Adelaide, you don't know this Cosmina guy, do you? I'm like, Nathan, he said, no, no, John Cosmina. I knew him when he was playing back over in UK. And you know what? He loved a good time. And we left the conversation there. <laughs> and I'm glad, though, because yeah, I felt at home. That's why I had a short career over there. <laughs> Mate, I love it. Um, it's always good to welcome you back and you're always um, really honest with what you say and we love that. It, it is certainly worth celebrating. We know that the um, the little documentary and movie coming out is going to reflect on the past 20 years, but you've been such a huge part of our history and it's something that hopefully you look back on with pride and, and learnings and it, it's still great. We talk about having uh, an Aligic and you know Casio's lad playing, but to have a Cosmina involved with Adelaide United with Nathan as well, I think it's quite fitting. So thanks for your time on the Pitch Podcast and and um, if you start your own acupuncture service, are you going to promote that on your Facebook? No, I don't. I, don't um, I never finished a course. Like a, a lot yeah, of things. You just I haven't stick things into people. It doesn't really matter. Because he thanks um, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you.